Let's put our minds together as one and remember those who have passed on to the sky world. Their life duties are complete. They are living peacefully in the sky world. In the sky world. My name is Natalie Evans, and you're listening to a special series from Some Kind of Brown called Red November. There's an epidemic in the indigenous communities that spurred a movement called Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, or MMIW. For the entire month of November, which is National Native American Heritage Month in the United States, my contributors and I will be talking about the loss of our sisters, the impact it continues to have on each of our lives, and how we are honoring the women, girls, and two-spirit people who have walked on by being visible and making sure that we are heard. Our hope is that the fire in our hearts touches yours and the gaps between our communities can be bridged. Whether you are indigenous, multiracial like me, or not, thank you for being here and for listening. We are native. We've been here. We will not let our lost sisters and our own voices fade away. Welcome to the movement. This is future Natalie speaking and I just wanted to jump in really really quickly and say that this was the first recording we did for Red November and I hadn't quite solidified what I was going to do with it so I ended up cutting a lot of the beginning part of this episode where I treated this as kind of a true crime podcast. As we were recording, Diana and I decided that that wasn't really a good direction to take it in, and I think that was really necessary to go through as a process. However, I didn't take everything out because I think that it's important to hear how some of the statistics you heard about in the last episode that lead to violence against our communities affects and affected a very real case. There won't be any details about her death. It's mostly talking about how these big problems that may seem abstract are really fleshed out in real life. Also, if I sound like I'm jumping around, please have mercy on me. We recorded right before my surgery, so I did my best to edit that out as much as I could. So I hope you enjoy the second episode of Red November, and I will let you get on to the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the second episode of Red November. Today, we're going to be talking about Wabin McGeesey Penny Robertson, and I have a guest from over the water with me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yes. So I'm Diana Bermudez. I was born in Colombia and I am from Indigenous American descent or of Indigenous American descent. And um, I am an actress. I really wanted to have this discussion with you to raise awareness and seeing as I have a public profile, it's always really good and important to share these issues with the wider world. Yes. And you've probably seen by now her beautiful picture she did for this project, which I'm so grateful that you contributed those to us. Of course. You know, I've seen the image and I think it's so powerful, you know, with the painted hands over across the mouth. And inevitably, people, when they see that image, they ask questions. And so I'm 
glad to share these images because I think it will just people will start being like oh what does that mean and we'll start a conversation and I think that that's a really important starting point when talking about uh, missing and murdered indigenous women is like the reality is a lot of the wider world outside of the community doesn't really know about these issues so I'm really glad to be able to be a part of this and I'm very grateful that you're joining us honestly this is just something that is near and dear to my heart I could not let another November really pass without talking about these things. And anything we can do to draw attention is crucial, I think. Yes, I agree. So last week we had a very hard story to start off the month with, but we did because the case of Savannah Greywind is kind of what started the MMIW Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women movement. And I think it's very important to also talk about things that are developing now. So Penny's case is one of the most recent cases that we'll be covering this month. And because of that, the research is a little bit frustrating. Yes. I know that I couldn't find very many sources and that seemed to be the case for you, Diana, as well. Yeah, I I mean, I typed in her name and there was about three articles that came up, all of them with very vague information, three paragraphs at most, short paragraphs at that, and, you know, just just very limited information and not even any information about her being a mother because I found that out from you not much information about what her family did and all of these other little things which obviously you've probed a little bit further and found out these other details which I think are so important when speaking about these women is who were they in well in the world or in the community who were they not just that they're another name on on a list of missing murdered indigenous women right and that's one of the hard things there are some organizations who are trying to cover cases of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and it's very very difficult there's not a lot of record keeping there's not a lot of attention in the news or outside of our indigenous communities So it's very hard to look at a name and tell a story. Sometimes we don't know their story beyond their name and when they went missing. Mm. It's very hard, I think, for people to understand the numbers. The numbers are just so off and scary and intimidating and we don't even know the full extent of this kind of violence and it's kind of overwhelming to know that there's violence at this level happening against a group of people and nobody knows about it. Yes, that is what is is, is crazy. You know, only because I follow a lot of Native activists and Indigenous rights uh, people and just Native women in the community, I follow a lot of them. And that's how I've gradually started learning about it. But it's if you're not from within the community or don't follow people uh, within the community, then I don't think there's any awareness at all about what's happening. You know, when I speak about Native issues to people here in the UK, they're like, oh, wow, like Native Americans still exist, really? Or like, wow, like, <laughs> like, honestly, so if that's a reaction, then you can imagine like that the fact that there is this epidemic of violence towards Native women, that doesn't even come into the minds of people outside of the US. Yeah, and I have a story about that which we can cover in the second half, because I do want to talk about that Okay. uh, now that you've brought it up. Yes, okay. But 
I only really know anything about Penny as a person from two sources. There is one TV interview spot where they spoke to the family, one. And Mm. the only other things that I found was on one of those obituary sites, unfortunately. Mm. You know, I don't know. That's where I got some of the things that humanized her. Mm. Otherwise, in the news, she was just a missing woman that nobody was really all that concerned about. No. No, the, the, I remember one article that I read was that it's not being treated as a homicide, but it was originally. <laughs> that was the extent of the, the information available. And I was like, wow, okay. That doesn't even say, what does that say? That doesn't say anything. It, it doesn't. And it says something really scary too, because this is a very short timeline of events. And for the police investigation to turn so sharply, I don't know, I don't want to, I'm hesitant to blame police. We've talked about before, we have links to resources, and one of those is the men on the Jensen and Holes podcast who have agreed to be a resource for people who are looking for a missing loved one or trying to figure out what to do in these situations when the local government isn't exactly pushing your case or prioritizing your case. So I'm hesitant to say anything about the police not caring, but I think you said before cases are dismissed of these missing Indigenous women because they just say they're on drugs or drunk, right? Yeah, that's what I keep kind of hearing overall is that, you know, you come with a complaint or, you know, of a missing uh, woman and most likely they'll be like, oh no, well, you know, she was probably um, on drugs or she was probably uh, abusing alcohol or something along those lines. And so they get dismissed more often than not or, or potentially not taken as seriously. And that's really, really sad because, I mean, I I understand that there is uh, problems with substance abuse and alcoholism within the community, but that doesn't mean that when a person goes missing, they mean less. It's strange to see how things are prioritized in the judicial system. And I understand that police officers or law officers can be weighed down by the number of cases. There are a lot of things that can contribute to it, but from a personal end we're talking about a person and a life that matters and it's very difficult to see someone being dismissed especially when we know what happened to them but also because that might not even be the case you know like yeah i think more often than not it's like a i guess stereotyping perhaps yes yeah and and the reality is like you said it's the sheer volume of cases and potentially you know the lack of resources and things like that also attributing to i don't know the not so thorough investigation into these women's disappearances it's very complicated and it's very it is very frustrating yeah for sure we know from one of the articles that i found she's a mother of five children right of course yeah So if a 31-year-old, and Penny was 31, if a 31-year-old woman who is single disappeared for four days, I could see that being easily dismissed if there was no evidence of foul play, no threats, her card, keys, and phone were all gone, you know, things like Mm. that. If she's single, okay, I can see that not raising too many red flags. It is legal to quote-unquote disappear in the U.S. for a while as an adult, Mm. but she had five children. Yeah, That's not something you're going to be 
blasé about. When you're looking at these things, it's hard not to go into questioning mode. Of course. Yeah. We want to know why. Why and where and how can a mother go missing for four days before Mm -hmm. there's an official missing persons report? Why is there not more information on it? Why was there only one TV spot? an interview with the family. These things are just puzzling to me and very frustrating to me. And I'm sure it was very frustrating to her family and friends. Of course, yeah. I say, I think, you know, the more these cases are happening, the more families are probably holding out hope. But the more that these missing women and girls turn up murdered, I think it's like that as soon as a loved one goes missing, you can't help but immediately fear the worst because of the current climate of what's happening to these women. When we have that interview with the family, it looked like there was just a small group of family and friends that were trying to organize and look for her. And it was the saddest thing that I've seen in a really long time. Just a small group of people looking for a woman that is kind of being overlooked by the authorities. There's so many similarities between, you know, the thoroughness of the investigation with Penny's case and Savannah Graywin's case, you know, where it seemed like a thorough investigation wasn't really done. And it falls on the community and the family to do the searching and it, well, it shouldn't really be their responsibility, but, or only their responsibility. Right. They shouldn't be leading the investigation. It shouldn't be left to the family and the communities to lead an investigation for a person. But it seems that that's what's happening more and more with cases just around the country is that it's being left to families. Like I've, I've seen so many, you know, Insta stories of, you know, women kind of saying, oh, this person's gone missing, this person's gone missing, uh, this this woman's gone missing. And it's like, that's being done through Mm -hmm. social media. Not that that's not aiding the situation, but it feels a lot of the time that that seems to be the, the way that this information and this search and this investigation is being done is through communities social media and it's like what about the authorities that they're not taking it as seriously as as we would hope especially because it more and more it's evident that it's an epidemic you know of violence against native women so i think there needs to be something a lot bigger being done yeah they said the police were still going to investigate the case and the police aren't sure of the cause And I wish I understood what was happening because that is the last we've heard. There have been no news stories, no police announcements, nothing officially from the authorities since June 3rd, the authorities or the media. I mean, the thing that stands out to me at this point is that this is one, one case in many. And I can just imagine that this has happened to countless families of unresolved murders within their families, you know, of of women in their families. (laughs) I mentioned to you before, it's like overwhelming, even though we're talking about this one case, when you apply it to the hundreds of women who are going missing, it's difficult to stomach. Yes. This is one case we're speaking about, so inconclusive, so many lack of details and investigation, but that's just one, one in several It is a sad reality. It's staring something very dark in the face. It's the story of one woman, one mother of five children, one daughter, one sister, one cousin. And you heard a lot of the statistics last week. There are hundreds, hundreds more. And that's just 
from the places that reported their numbers mm. or estimates really in some places as well. There are a lot of places that don't keep records. So when you hear about Penny's story and the strange circumstances and the lack of any announcements or any news since is just so disturbing to see that her whole life to the outside world was a blip in the news between May 30th and June 3rd. The world knew Penny between May 30th and June 3rd. Well, they knew about her, just nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I don't know. It's very overwhelming and emotional to think about it mm. when you put it in terms like that. But that's what the reality of these situations are. I wish there was more. Mm. I wish I knew who Penny Robertson was. I wish I knew or saw her with her kids because people said that she was wonderful with her kids, that she was a wonderful, loving person. I never got to see that Penny. And all we got to see is a few pictures in one interview with her mother, her sister, and her cousin. And that's all we know. I know that the family is still trying to keep her alive and doing walks and marches in honor of Penny, just small local things to kind of try to heal as a community. Of course. I don't know if they have any closure. I can't imagine that they feel that much closure when there aren't that many answers. Mm. But I don't know, like my heart goes out to her family so much. Yeah, her and, and all the other families out there who are suffering. And, I, you know, like, I think the reality is, you know, Indigenous women have been persecuted since 1492, you know, when... Um, Colonization. Commenced, yes. Our bodies have always been raped, abused. Our ancestors were, like, killed, tortured. I mean, our communities just always treated with such disregard. And disdain. Yeah, and disdain. And to be Indigenous we were taught that that was a negative thing. They tried to tell us that. Um, and I think, you know, the difference between, say, like North America and Canada is that I feel from an objective perspective that the Indigenous communities in the North have really resisted more. Whilst in the South, the Indigenous communities have assimilated and now are basically believe themselves to be Spanish. And I think that that's the main difference between the communities however what is happening is still very much an issue that mm -hmm. is occurring also in the south with indigenous activists being murdered and and to clarify when you say south you're talking about south america correct i'm talking yes so i'm talking about south america <laughs> okay i just want to make that clear to the people listening because my podcast is from a Southern girl's perspective. And when I say South, I mean South of America. Yeah. So... Of the United States of America, whilst I'm talking yeah. about South of the continent of right. the Americas. So I just wanted to clarify that we are talking on this large scale and not the normally American scale that I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so like this is an issue which is happening globally. Indigenous people, Indigenous women... Why women? Well, I mean, we've always been targeted, you know, uh, we've, women have always been, or indigenous women, brown women and brown bodies have always been sexualized, objectified and really treated as, as objects. I went to a, a screening last night of a documentary which was talking about the sterilization, the forced sterilization of native women. 
So in this talk, we had a Sioux woman, Sharon Asatoya, who was speaking about the fact that because women are in charge of <laughs> populating yes. the world, and so by sterilizing women, you're essentially kind of preventing the population of indigenous people to grow. And so then it's kind of almost really linked in the same way. It's like women's bodies, they just want to control their bodies and they want to shut them down. And it's no surprise that this has been going on from colonization, the beginning of colonization, and it's still happening in different forms from going from sterilization to now just outright killing indigenous women. I think that's like a broader perspective on the issue. So we're not talking about like isolated incidents right. now. It's kind of like, why is this happening? It's because it's, you know, systematic oppression. It's it's a continual thing. It's it's not new. It's just another form of what's been happening for 500 years. And I know that at least in America, when we talk about the things that happened to Native Americans, you mentioned that they have tried to make Native Americans look like it's bad, right? They're, they're mm. bad. My younger sister actually came home one day and was crying and said she didn't want to be an Indian. And we're like, what are you, why? What's wrong? And it turns out in class around Thanksgiving time, the class was, you know, dressing like pilgrims and Indians Ugh. and all that stuff. I wish I had been older. I wish I had been my sister's parent because I would have had a conniption. But the teacher was telling the kids that they had Thanksgiving, but, you know, the Native Americans are bad and they kept killing the the poor pilgrims are just coming here for a new life. Oh, God. And she, <sighs> yeah, and she came home crying, saying, like, Indians are mean and I don't want to be one. And I wish I was joking, but I was horrified even then hearing that. Mm. Uh, it's this kind of rhetoric that gets spouted to kind of make what actually truly happened and the genocide that occurred and is still occurring, it, it justifies it almost. It's not surprising because exactly what your sister experienced is what goes on in South America. Even today, there's extreme racism towards indigenous peoples and communities. And you have a, a continent where we were just told brainwash, you know, white is right. You look at our televisions and every every actor or the majority of actors on South American television are, are all light skinned. Mm -hmm. You don't see indigenous peoples on TV or represented. And the community is just really held in such low regard. And to be indigenous is seen as derogatory, as a bad thing. Like even last year when I went on, on holiday and I met another Colombian woman and she was telling me a little funny story and she just said, oh, so I had to say to my work colleague, stop being so Indian <gasps> because exactly. And that's a normal thing to say, oh, stop being so Indian, like because it's seen as being dumb, as being unworthy, low, like, and that is the attitude towards indigenous peoples in South America. And clearly it's an attitude that's still held as well in the United States of America and in Canada, because that's the only way I feel that if people have that belief, then, then it's okay not to care about the missing murdered indigenous women because they're not worth caring about. So even though it's not outright said, it's this kind of belief that is held still within, I guess, within within our countries. And it's, it's really sad. 
it's hard when you're mixed and you kind of straddle both cultures to get an accurate picture of what either side sees because while I belong to both communities I'm not in one or the other if that makes sense I'm not Mm -hmm. fully in one or the other so Mm -hmm. very recently we had that fragrance salvage yes we did the advertisement did not hide what they meant It was just very, <laughs> sorry, I just, yeah, it's very, uh, just, I just don't understand how they could have seen that and thought that that was okay. It's because there has been so much work done to silence Indigenous people. A lot of sovereign nations inside the US, mm-hmm. there are sovereign nations. Some of them have their own passports, but they're not acknowledged by foreign countries because they didn't know that Native Americans still exist. We're still alive here. Mm. The fact that people already think that we've all been wiped out is horrifying. Yeah. When I started my journey to rediscover my culture, to get closer to my indigenous side, it was like a whole different world or culture just magically appeared because I went from seeing these things very rarely to now it's most of the social media I consume. I've made a lot of indigenous friends. Mm. I'm going to powwows. I'm learning a lot of the ceremony that goes along with their culture and things like that. It's very easy to step out of that world If it's easy for me to be sheltered from indigenous cultures, I can't imagine how easy it is for people who don't eat, who are not part of the community at all. Yeah. Some of the things that people have said to me, sometimes it shocks me, but then at the same time, I can't blame them because how would they know otherwise, especially being in the UK? I think it's almost slightly, there's a different responsibility being in the United States, uh, I feel. However, like in the UK, honestly, I mean, how? <laughs> yeah. They, we have completely other issues over here. But going back to the Sauvage uh, perfume, the, the reason why that kind of hit a nerve with me. Yes. I mean, I think it hit a nerve with a lot of people. That's the reality. You know, I once had a, a friend who innocently, ignorantly said no but it was a good job that colonization happened because you were all savages before then right I didn't know there were people still alive who thought that Um, (laughs) I know exactly (laughs) this is the thing part of me was just like really but then I'm just like ah like because I am torn because you know he's he's a friend and I'm like okay uh how do you respond to that no we weren't actually we had civilizations and and we were amazingly advanced and we were very spiritual and we had like amazing uh structures so actually no we we weren't savages thank you very much yeah and native communities are at the forefront of conservation yes they may not have quote-unquote developed the way that europeans would consider developed exactly native americans and indigenous peoples have lived on both continents for a very long time in harmony with nature yes and i would say that's very civilized oh but but very i mean listen just because we didn't fit a western idea of civilized uh, doesn't mean we, we we weren't i mean we i think we were very advanced personally from what i've researched I mean, it's, it's difficult because, you know, a lot of our history was destroyed. Yeah. But uh, from certain accounts, I kind of read it and go, oh, wow, we were impressive people. I mean, we are impressive people. We've just lost a part of our 
history, I guess, especially in the South yeah. America. But when this advert comes out, Sauvage, <laughs> I mean, I literally was like, really? Because that's the stereotype that the majority of the world has. Yes. Yeah, that's what people think because they're ignorant and a massive brand like that that has worldwide reach is just perpetuating that stereotype. And it's a very harmful image because like what happened to your sister, like what happens to many indigenous people, they don't feel worthy. They don't feel like they are good enough. They don't want to be indigenous. So I am Colombian and I am of indigenous ancestry. But when I have this discussion with other South Americans who clearly, you know, they have the high cheekbones, the features, the strong features, the brown Mm -hmm. skin. And I'm like, we're indigenous. And they just do not get it because I think it's ingrained in the way that we've been assimilated. It's so ingrained in our thought process that to be indigenous is a bad thing. Even when I'm trying to have these conversations with South Americans here in the UK, oh, it is like like beating a brick wall. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right expression. So when I first started saying to my mum, you know, no, but we are we are of indigenous descent, she just kind of giggled awkwardly, and I said to my to my dad my biological father because uh, I have a, a stepdad who's basically my dad but my my real dad I said to him you know what's who are our ancestors and my dad's darker than me mm-hmm. he's like very like a lovely dark complexion and he was like our ancestors come from the Basque part of Spain and I have to say to him look at yourself in the mirror <laughs> the other <laughs> <Because ones>. <laughs> yeah no I'm like do you truly believe you are a white man and I know that the issue of DNA tests is a tricky issue but I I did my DNA test because I was like you know I want to see how much Spanish I have in me like let's just see you know just to confirm my dad's side of the story and I only had 19% Spanish which I think is quite a a small amount especially when we are all claiming to be Spanish and Spanish ancestry you know that's not a huge amount of Spanish DNA and when I told my dad you know I was like I came to him with conclusive I felt you know (laughs) conclusive scientific proof here you go look our ancestors couldn't have been that much Spain because if I'm half you and half my mum there's only 19% of that is Spanish and he was like he, he just couldn't quite understand I think that's because to be associated with being indigenous has become such a negative thing in South America that even when presented with scientific proof, it's still like, what? I I don't understand. That's how much we've been, I guess, brainwashed to not identify with our true, I guess, race, you know? And uh, before we started recording, you said something you said a lot of things, unfortunately, yeah. before we were recording. No, no, that was not a complaint. I, you said a lot of things that I wish you had said on recording. That's what I was, where I was going with that. You said a lot of things that are really good. You said that growing up in our generation with the technological advancements and how we can all be connected by social media actually gives us a little bit of privilege compared to our parents and probably the generation that came before that. Because in North America, you have the residential schools and Mm. the generations who were really taught to hate their indigenous selves and, and distance themselves from that. And our communities have been trying to recover since then in North America and in South America. From what I understand, it wasn't so much that the indigenous peoples were put on reservations so much as they were driven into certain areas. And there was the same kind of brainwashing, like you said, to be Spanish. 
Mm. to be the acceptable race where North America, you were pushed to be white and South America is dealing with pushing to be Hispanic, (laughs) but uh, a different white. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Colonizers, different. Yeah, exactly. Different Europeans, basically. And I had a friend in college and the first time I ever encountered the fact that there were still a lot of indigenous South American communities still there, I thought they had been taken out basically like the mayans and the incas like just gone Mm -hmm. but my friend from argentina he was actually of spanish descent yeah and he was explaining to me that in argentina there are areas where you have spanish people and then just areas where the indigenous people were kind of left yeah and there's a very very large discrepancy isn't the word I want, but it's the word I have between how they live and how they're treated in Argentina, at least. And I don't think that that's that's just uh, just in Argentina. I think it's actually indigenous communities throughout South America, because I I mean, yeah, because uh, you look at the president of Colombia, you know, he's a right wing president who is clearly from European descent. And apparently, from my research, since he's been in power, you know, the rates of violence against indigenous communities has increased. Yeah. So you have someone like him in Colombia, you have Bolsonaro in Brazil, who actually, he said, okay, and and this is a quote, because I when I read it, I was like, what? He actually said, it's a shame that the Brazilian cavalry hasn't been as efficient as the Americans who exterminated the Indians. So this is the president of Brazil, which is another <laughs> country which has, I mean, the current situation with the Amazon and how the president, I mean, obviously oh, does yeah. not uh, hold indigenous rights He's like completely disregarded any indigenous rights. There are lesser species almost. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's no surprise that he's obviously a Brazilian of European descent. And if you look at the majority of the presidents running South America, they are all of European descent, which I think, you know, kind of shows that even though colonization happened, and even though we have assimilated as a whole, the people who are running the country are still of European descent, like the colonizers. And I think, actually, I know we have a part in what's happening in South America, we the US. Mm -hmm. And that's something that not a lot of people know. It's not talked about very often. But we have deposed certain governments. And it is in our interest that the Native peoples and Indigenous peoples are removed because they want Southern governments to do what they're doing up here. And that's move people or take land for resources. Yes. And I think Sharon Asatoya, who is the Sioux woman at the screening I went to last night, she actually said that it all comes down to resources. Mm -hmm. When certain people want resources, then they do whatever whatever it takes to get those resources and if that's violence against the indigenous communities in that area then so be it that's what's done mm-hmm. and yes yeah, so it's it's again it's a global issue because even though we're specifically speaking about south america and north america i have to just point out at this point that when we're talking about all the south american countries and when we're talking about the united states we have to remember that these are colonial borders because before that you know as native americans our race we had our own communities and tribes and civilizations within that mm-hmm. we didn't have these borders so yes i'm a colombian woman but colombia was only is, has only been in existence for <laughs> for like 500 years and I think that that's something important also to bear in mind, because I think that a lot is done to separate us as a 
continent when really we are all the indigenous peoples of the land well i mean just like what you said i'm sorry which we i don't remember the name of the world leader and i should oh bolsonaro (laughs) yes yes when he said that my brain just froze because there are so many things wrong oh god so many things with that sentence and so many true things in that statement (laughs) it's a strange area to live in or to be thinking about. The thing that stands out to me is that he said that the Americans exterminated the Indians. And I think that in itself goes to show what like the whole world kind of believes is a truism. Yes. And, it, and it's not because you're still here. There's a huge native community that I follow on social media that I know is there. If you are listening and you're not of indigenous descent, you're not in the community, I just want you to do one thing and see what happens to your social media. Follow all of the people involved in this project and for a month, see how much you can observe or learn. Because I guarantee you, if you're not following at least five, we're gonna say an arbitrary number, like at least five people who are in the community, you don't realize how large and vibrant and alive the Native community is in North America Mm. and what people are trying to do in South America as far as preserving culture. I saw this tweet so long ago. It was one of those random tweets that magically went viral because I don't understand social media. It was this white woman who said something along the same lines, but about Black people. Follow X amount of Black people and for a month, see what happens. Because for her, it was life-changing. She's done it to other people. She's Her eyes were open to so many more issues. Mm. And I can say that even from my own personal experience, I first started trying to reconnect just by talking to my cousin. And he does remember a lot of the older ways. I do learn all the older ceremonies, but that's not the same thing as me going to a powwow and talking to people and making regalia, wearing regalia, Mm. learning the dances, learning the languages. It's insane to me how easy it is kind of to block this area, these people out intentionally or not. But as far as you saying that the rest of the world not knowing we exist, Mm. when I was in college, there was a black man just walking on, on the campus, an older black man. I didn't know him and he stopped me. And it's still weird to me to see anyone of color speak with a British accent. (laughs) it's fine for me now but when I was 18 I hadn't had much exposure to the world yeah I I still get it a lot you know when people follow me and then they and then I post something on my story they're like oh my gosh (laughs) you have a British accent and I have such a British accent as well it's not like a bit of a twang or anything no it's a very very well spoken British accent so yeah I can understand especially in the US how you might be like whoa that's so weird to have a a brown woman speaking with such a British accent (laughs) yeah I'm fine now. Like, I'm used to it now. But at 18, I, you know, just was taken aback. And he said, are you Native American? Mm. And I said, part, yes, Mm. why? (laughs) And he was like, I'm a professor. I don't remember what what he taught. He said, I came from Africa, was educated in the UK. And in both countries, I never knew that your people were still alive. Yeah. He said, you are the very first Native American person I have met. Hmm. I'm like, uh, one, that's sad because at 18, I didn't know squat. Mm. (laughs) 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 And two, it's sad because there are so many visible Mm. indigenous people that seeing me on campus 
is just so odd in so many levels. Mm. But is unsurprising is the reality. Like in the broader perspective, it's unsurprising because that's actually, I think, what the rest of the world think. And I've even heard of Americans who have said they've never met a Native American. And that surprises me even more because I'm like, what? What? There's a... There's a weird dichotomy here. There are people who say they haven't met Native Americans, and then there's a joke that's kind of real. Every white person says they're X amount Cherokee yeah. or X yeah, amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's that. And it's yeah. like the tiniest percentage. <laughs> But it is, it is, I mean, that's a whole other subject. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it is crazy. And I think that that's why it's so important for me to kind of identify as of Native American descent or of Indigenous descent, because for me, it's important, A, like there's strength in Indigenous unity. So there's an Instagram page, which I think is doing great work, and they're called ID Native 2020. What they are trying to do is teach South Americans of Indigenous descent or Latinos or Latinx people of Indigenous descent to mark Native American on the census. Because I know this is a whole other subject, but, you know, the reality is that Latinx is a cultural identity. It's not a race. And within the Latinx community, you have Black Latinx, White Latinx and Indigenous Latinx. I actually wanted to ask you about that because I think you said earlier in this recording, I'm not sure if you said it actually when we were recording or when we were talking earlier, but you said that Latinx is a colonizer's term, correct? Right. So, I mean, now we're talking about my personal journey into how I identify because, and that's what I kind of started talking about. So yes, I grew up as a Latino because Latinx wasn't around when I was growing up. And I really struggled with my identity, especially living in the UK, especially with how I look, because, you know, most of my other Latinx friends are lighter skinned. And a lot of times I got told, oh, you don't really look Colombian or you don't really look um, Latin. You look Asian, actually, was what I got told a lot. <laughs> I, I get that a lot, too. <laughs> yeah. And especially here in the UK, I mean, my gosh, because, you know, Native American is like not something that they have in their mind of a race that still exists. So, you know, of course, that would never come into mind. They'd always kind of be like, are you Asian? Or, you know, what, what are you? Are you like Eurasian? Are you mixed or whatever? So there was a whole battle with like, what am I? And who am I? And it wasn't until I got with my now partner that he was like, but you're Native American, obviously. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I can't say that. Like, because, you know, there was a, there's a sensitivity around claiming, uh, you know, because Native American, when you think of Native Americans, you know, you do immediately kind of go, okay, well, Native Americans are if you grow up in a reservation. And, but then I think that there is a, a lived experience and there is a race. And there is no avoiding that when I look at myself in the mirror, <laughs> I am <laughs> native. Like, I mean, you can see on my social media, there, there's no confusing. Like, I, I can't say, oh, I might be a bit white. Like, it's very, very clear. And so then I kind of started researching. And then that was when I found these kind of groups that are saying, you know, no, but learn about your ancestry. Because even though we all had our different civilizations and tribes and communities, we're all one race. And to me, that was really powerful because then I kind of accepted that that was what I was. I am a woman of indigenous heritage or descent. I am native. And it was like, whew, like this kind of release and this kind of, 
I don't know, like I, 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 there was a freedom in kind of finally being like, oh my God, this is what I am. <laughs> it's so powerful. And I've done my best to research. I've tried to find what my actual native peoples, who they were. And as far as I can track it down, it was the Kalima civilization because they were prevalent in the area of Colombia that my family are from. But it's even harder for you because you don't have the disgusting but useful roles that we have where every indigenous person was forced to register. Right. So in fact, it's the opposite because there are no records. And, you know, my family in Colombia were very poor. So again, even less records, like I, I'm pretty sure there are no birth certificates of my mother or grandmother or anything like that. And I just have some photos to remember them by, but you know, they were all very native indigenous looking, but I cannot for sure trace it. And I cannot trace my language. And it's kind of a, it leaves me in a bit of a, who am I? And what am I? And then there's the question of, well, what about my Latino upbringing? (laughs) Because that is what is prevalent in South America, it's like this pride in being Latino. And there's this discussion that is happening within like some indigenous activists that I follow that kind of say, but to be Latino, that's a European term. And why would you, why are we claiming an identity that was forced upon us by the colonizers? Because in fact, by accepting the Latinx name and by identifying as Latinx, what you're in fact doing is erasing our race and our ancestors, you know, because now we're just adopting what it is to be Latinx, which is something very new. It's kind of mixed with a bit of Spanish, mixed with, you know, some of our actual ancestry, also mixed with the African Mm -hmm. culture from, you know, the slave trade as well. This is a whole mix of what it is to be Latino, but then the actual name is what was forced upon us by our colonizers so that we didn't identify with our ancestry, so that we forgot how to speak our native tongue. Yeah. So that now to be Latino and to speak Spanish is really the most important thing. So it's a very interesting subject. <laughs> it is. And I asked you because the attitude towards that term in the US is very different, actually. Mm. Latinx is is seen as an identifier, as a unifying term. And I think that's probably a reflection of what's happening in, in the US culturally. So in South America, in these communities, you're facing very different extermination mm. attempts, mm. Uh, frankly, I would say. And in the US, there's not so much of an extermination attempt so much as a dehumanizing and removal rhetoric that is being used towards the Latinx community. And everyone in the world knows our president is uh, vocal Mm. and (laughs) does not say the most pleasant things. Mm. And it's a a lot of times directed towards Mexicans. But when he says Mexicans, he, he really means all Latinx. Yeah. So because in America... There's been so much hatred towards Latinx people. It's seen as a unifier. And I think it kind of parallels what happens here specifically, because a lot of the situations in America are kind of unique between the slave trade and the idea of things being a a melting pot, but it not actually being a melting pot. Mm. It's very complicated and there's a lot of it, but 
black became a unifying term because saying African-American is actually exclusionary Mm. from the perspective of current activism. That's probably the best way to put it. Current activism wants to embrace black and blackness because black is an inclusive term. It includes Haitians. It includes black people who were taken to some of those Caribbean areas. It includes people who were brought from the slave trade down in South America as well. So African-American is now seen as exclusionary. And I don't think that would be the case from outside of the U.S. or people wouldn't see it that way. So I think just like with anything else, the culture and space and climate you're in kind of determines how certain terms are taken. It's very interesting. It is. And, and you know, I fluctuate between knowing exactly how to identify it. The issue around identity and how people identify is such a sensitive issue. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to claim one thing and offend a group of people, you know, but the reality is, you know, if I look at myself in the mirror, I know I can see what I am. The issue around race and identity is really complicated. And especially as I'm an actress and I, (laughs) in the world, in the industry that I work in, a lot of times things are cast on stereotypes. Even though I'm at this kind of point in my life where I'm not sure what is the right way to identify myself. You know, am I Latinx? Oh, I identify more as native because I feel that it's more important to represent the indigenous communities because there has been such an erasure, because there is links to anxiety and depression and all these things because people who look like me don't see themselves represented. Um, Because, you know, because of that, I feel that it is more important for me to identify in that way however I also can't deny that I grew up you know dancing salsa and and, you know listening to reggaeton and that was very much a part of my culture and I listened to these songs like merengue uh, for like cumbia uh, and they remind me of my mom so I I can't erase that part of me, but I understand the conversations that are being had around the terminology of using Latinx. Having the freedom, I think, to even have these conversations is so new Mm. that we have not, like including you as part of the indigenous community, the global indigenous community has not had the freedom to identify themselves in hundreds of years. Mm. So I think that as a global people who are united in this unique experience, it's going to take time for us to settle on how we're going to define ourselves in a world that tried to exterminate us and was not able to. Exactly. And then I know that there are waves of thoughts that say it's not right for us to, for especially for someone like me, to call myself Indigenous because to be Indigenous is actually a political term, is to live a certain, uh, this is something I found out recently, like apparently it, it refers to a group of people who live a certain way of life. And, you know, we're talking about what people think of when they think of Indigenous people, not someone like me who lives in London and who is an, an actor, you know, like that's not what people think of when they think, Indigenous. And so then there's that whole other conversation of like, well, like, am I allowed to say that I'm Indigenous because I haven't lived that life? And then, you know, there are people who say, no, no, you can you can only say that you're of Indigenous descent. So it's such a sensitive issue. And you're right, we haven't kind of come to an agreement of what it is that is the term, the unifying term for us. I'm going to say something to you that has been said to me. 
you have lived, you've lived like me. Not necessarily in the exact terms, but you are an Indigenous or Native person who grew up outside of the community. Mm. That's not our fault. No. The first time I talked to Agnag last year, she told me that I almost have to be my own Native auntie. Since then, I've kind of approached my identity like that. I identify also very strongly as Indigenous, as a Choctaw and Cherokee woman, but I also strongly identify as a Black woman, and I can Mm -hmm. occupy both those spaces at once. Yes, yes, I agree with that. When you're facing ridicule or when you're facing people saying you can't belong to a certain community, no matter what people say, you have a spot at the table. You can recognize your privilege or recognize that you grew up outside of the community, but that's outside of your control. Mm. The responsibility is what you do after. By saying that I am a Eastern Band Cherokee, Mississippi Band of Choctaw woman, I am also assuming the responsibility that goes along with it. The responsibility of learning, the responsibility of passing on the culture, the responsibility of being involved in the community and participating as much as I can. Mm. And I knew that before I decided to identify. And I belong in those groups. I have family. I know this. But I was born outside of the community. Mm. I live my life and am trying to live my life as an Indigenous Black person. Mm. If people tell you that you cannot belong because you haven't had the same experience, then there needs to be a conversation. We can acknowledge that we had different experiences. I didn't grow up on a reservation, Mm. but I am doing my best to learn, and I didn't choose to be born off the reservation. Mm. And that's all you can say. And you grew up in the UK. I have seen your Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) The reason why we're talking, because I saw your Instagram and... You and I both kind of had these silent like likings back and forth yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. And when I had this project, I was like, I need to reach out to her. I did not think you were going to message me back, but I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that I did. <laughs> <laughs> this has been like a three hour epic conversation so far. I, know, but <laughs> I think we've been talking for longer. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I saw your Instagram. You are living like an Indigenous or Native woman. You are doing your best in your circumstances Mm. to learn about your history. You're already doing the work that goes along with it. Yeah. And that is something that I read a lot. I think there's a a sentiment where, you know, people are, are, are frustrated when people are claiming, I guess, Indigenous identity, but without the work that goes with it. And there, there is a lot of work, you know, and in really immersing yourself within the culture and raising awareness of issues within the culture and kind of letting people know that, that we're here, being visible. And I think that that's something that I feel is a responsibility, or at least I've taken that on as a responsibility. And I love it when I get, you know, young Native women from North or South kind of saying, it's amazing that you're representing us in the UK, like, because (laughs) it is rare. And and I, I do have this like unique spot. I've been sharing a lot about missing and murdered Indigenous women on my social media, like to try and raise awareness and the amount of people from the UK who are just like, I had no idea, like really just no idea. And and so it's another way to kind of reach out. I've been more and more comfortable. It's taken a while. Like I'm going to be honest and be like, it's taken me two years to kind of really be like, 
more comfortable in saying it. And at times I do still feel like, oh, it's a really sensitive issue. But I feel that I am an Indigenous woman, that I'm trying to live my life in that way. I mean, it's lovely to hear you say those things as well, <laughs> because it's always a very tricky subject when it comes to identity. And is very nuanced. I think you're doing a lot of work that some people are not in a position to do. Mm. I think it's it started first with a clear kind of like, I want people to know how great our ancestors were. And so in, in a way, it's funny, because even though I feel privileged, having grown up here in the UK with a very different lifestyle at the same time others could argue you know it's a privilege to be able to know what tribe you come from it's a privilege to know your ancestral tongue and to be able to continue that whereas most people in South America a lot of us will always feel this kind of displacement and that's why I say we have to remember that our ancestors were great because we can't track our exact indigenous group and kind of know what they're doing now because I mean as far as all the research I've done the Kalima people are extinct but they can't be because I'm still here I don't know what the traditional ways are that's what I'm trying to look at more and I think that that's really gonna take me going to Colombia to do a proper exploratory holiday to really find out more maybe you should expand your platform and make a YouTube series out of it or an actual documentary I'm sure you have enough connections in this film world to pitch a documentary to the right people. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? If I build my platform or if I get to a certain level just a little bit more, then it will just get offered to me. Or, you know, I put it out into the universe and somebody will be like, do you know what? I'm going to do a documentary. I just need to find that person. I'll be ready. (laughs) And that's one of the things I was not sure I wanted to do this project now because I still have a relatively small platform and I think it's really relative and then you also said at one point that you felt like you had a small platform but you're looking at people with millions and I'm looking at people with thousands you know (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it's all about perspective isn't it (laughs) my platform may be small but this project especially is very important Yeah, no, it's true. The first time it came into my awareness was actually because of this film, Wind River, which problematic in certain areas. But you know, it was the first time that I kind of saw this story. And at the end, it says, you know, Native women face a lot of violence, and they are being murdered uh, at an alarming rate. And that was the first kind of time that I saw it. And that was in a cinema in the UK. Then I guess because that was at a similar time as to when I started kind of discovering my ancestry and my heritage. And that so that coincided. And then after that, as I started following more and more Native people, that was when I just kept seeing the hashtag and the reports and then people sharing or reposting, you know, videos of women just saying, my daughter's been missing for a week. She went missing. Like, and I, and I was just like, what was happening? Because it literally felt like it happened all of a sudden. And it was just constantly and every day, I'm sure I'm seeing something to do with it. And that's why I say, if you're not following at least five Indigenous people, Native people, whatever term we're using, (laughs) I guess that changes by the day and by who we're talking to. Follow at least five, because the amount of things that you will realize that you were not aware of is going to be crazy. Yeah. 
To be fair, I do post a lot about food as well, but I post, um, <laughs> I try and do a healthy balance of food and topics that are important. Beyond some of these issues that the Indigenous communities are facing that you do post about, it's just as important, I think, like you said, to be visible, to be representing Native communities in an area where a lot of people wouldn't expect a Native person to exist mm. in. So you being visible helps. And you not only are able to help people like us who are trying to reconnect because it's so powerful and so freeing to see another person who is reconnecting, mm. but you also give people who might have been raised in the community support too. You got that message from that young teenager person <laughs> and you're visible, you're a positive influence, and you are contributing to the community. And since we are talking about how much influence you have specifically, how about you tell us where we can find you? Oh, well, I'm mainly on Instagram, Diana Bermudez. Diana spelled Diana, but pronounced Diana. That's confusing, I'm sure, that there will be a link to my Instagram because... <laughs> I have it in the show notes. <laughs> so, yes, that's me. Well, I really appreciate like I said I can't say it enough I almost didn't do this project but I I just felt like I needed to and ever since then amazing people like you have been saying yes and I hope that people's eyes are open to what's going on and we can do more about this mm. really systemic problem that mm. has not reached enough years Diana and I honestly had such a good conversation and we really were on the recording for over four hours. We only stopped when I had an asthma attack. If you've been following my social media, you are probably familiar with the little cat that caused that. It was really nice to connect with someone sort of in the beginning of reconnecting as well and also someone to represent South America. As Diana said, we as indigenous people didn't put that border there and their stories belong in the conversation. You can find all Diana's social media and information about her work on our website linked in the show notes. She is honestly amazing and more than worth following. Please check out our special edition merchandise through the link in my link tree and show notes. 80% of the proceeds will be donated to the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. The first round of you to buy your merchandise have probably received it by now. Please, please, please show me a picture. I've seen a couple. I might have cried. Agnarok has put their heart into this design. We hope that it touches you. Their information can be found on the website as well. Again, I owe a massive thank you to the amazing Teresa Bear Fox for the use of her song, Sky World, and I'll see you next week for some more Red November.
dreams are complete. They are living peacefully.